Uh, last week, Kathy and I were not here. Uh, we were in uh, California at a Carpenters Union delegates meeting, and we had a motivational speaker. And uh, she, I mentioned this Wednesday at Bible study, she said, uh, everybody knows that saying, you can't say something nice. Don't say anything at all. She says, I have a story for you. She told about her life story and what things had happened, and she says she believes that it should be rephrased. If you don't have anything nice to say, what do you say? Figure out what to say. So I titled my message, This is a Good Story. How many know that this Bible is full of good stories? But more importantly, your story is a good story. If God has touched your life, your story is a good story, and it's worth telling. So I want to start with a story. Today's February 18th. In the year 1678, on February, 20, or February 18th, uh, a license was granted to print a book by a man who also, in his lifetime, published 58 books. But he has one book that's most famous, and next to the Bible, it's the second best-selling book in the world, and it's called Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody ever heard of Pilgrim's Progress? Mr. Bunyan uh, was not an educated man. He was a tinker. Back in those days, a tinker repaired pots and pans. Nowadays, you just throw them away and go buy a new one. But back then, I guess it was more practical to repair them. And so he, uh, a mender of pots and pans, and he wrote this story, and it inspired generations after generation. When he was 16 years old, the story goes, his mother and sister died within a three-month span and his father remarried. That was not uncommon back then. Unable to deal with the upheaval, he began acting out in what he would later term wild and willful ways. Nobody's ever done that here, I'm sure. He had no books before he was married, but when he did get married, his wife was a Christian, and part of her dowry consisted of two Puritan books. Listen to this story. One Sunday afternoon with his friends on the village green, Bunyan heard a voice from heaven ask, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or keep thy sins and go to hell? Bunyan looked up to heaven, quoted, he wrote later, looked up to heaven, and it was as if, as if I had seen the Lord Jesus looking down upon me. Guess what he did next? He got depressed. He became severely depressed as a result of the vision, feeling he might as well be condemned for many sins instead of just a few. He spent the next month indulging in selfish pursuit. God speaks to him, and he goes out and sins even more. However, then his feelings shifted. And he pursued righteousness with equal vigor. Our neighbors, he wrote, did take me to be a very godly man, a new and religious man indeed. So it was, 
Yet I knew not Christ, nor grace, not faith, nor hope. He's trying to mend his own ways. Many people, you, you tell them about Jesus and say, well, I've got to get my life cleaned up first before I can come to church. I don't want the walls to fall down. I don't want to be, I had one guy tell me, I don't want to be responsible for all those deaths. I said, what? Yeah, if I came into church, the whole place would fall down or catch on fire or something because I'm such an awful sinner. No, no, no. That wouldn't happen at all. God is a good God. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Working as a tinker, Bunyan often overheard a group of women discussing the Bible. He later wrote, I thought they spoke as if joy did make them speak. They were to me as if they had found a new world. And so they did, a new kingdom. Irresistibly drawn by their conversations, one day he marveled at a very great softness and tenderness of heart which caused me to fall into the, the conviction of what by Scripture they asserted shortly thereafter he put his trust in the Lord Jesus as his Savior. So everything was good. Not his path after his conversion, however, was neither smooth nor straight. He struggled with assurance of salvation. His daughter was blind. He struggled with poverty. Then his wife died. And his desire to preach the gospel when it was forbidden by law, bugged him. In 1660, he remarried, and now the father of six put in prison for preaching in public without a license. Can you imagine that? Telling somebody about Jesus and going to jail for it. He had been unable to get a license because he had little education and disagreed with the official State Church of England. Intermittently, in and out of prison for 12 years, he made shoelaces in his cell to support his family and spent many hours writing. His manuscript began. As I was walking in the wilderness of this world, I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein, and as he read, he wept and trembled, and broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do to be saved? The manuscript, entitled Pilgrim's Progress, stole, told the story of Pilgrim's Quest to answer that question. It was licensed this day, February 18, 1678, and is best known of his 58 books, remains in print over 300 years later, has been translated into more than 200 languages. He died 10 years later, and had to go through the valley of the shadow of death as every Christian does on his way to the celestial city. In reflecting, it says here, John Bunyan would probably be considered a most unlikely person to write a devotional classic. How do you think he was able to do it? Must have had God's help. Has God ever enabled you to do something beyond your abilities? God has the power to stretch any of us beyond what we think we can do. Because in Philippians, Paul says, I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. So, uh, which button do I press here? Just the one in the middle? The right.
Here's another story. February 6th, 1870. Anyone ever heard of George Mueller? He, uh, back in uh, his day, uh, orphans were not put in orphanages because there were none. Orphans were put in workhouses, or if they were old enough and they did enough naughty things, they were put in prison. Can you imagine what a life? Your mom and dad dies and you get put in prison. He'd been laboring, and I read somewhere that he would publish a newsletter, and he published over one million answered prayers. He never asked anybody for any money, any support. He prayed about it, and God answered his prayers, over a million prayers in his lifetime. He never drew a salary. His faith was rewarded. Unfortunately, on February 6, 1870, his wife, Mary, died of rheumatic fever. She suffered for six days with this. And then he wrote in his diary, 39 years, four months ago, the Lord gave me the most valuable, lovely, and holy wife. Her value to me and the blessing God made her to me is beyond description. This blessing was continued to me till this day when this afternoon about Four o'clock, the Lord took her to himself. He chose Psalm 119, verse 68, as the text for his wife's funeral. And he says, talking about God, you, God, are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. When it seems like life is falling apart, when it seems like you're not going anywhere, making any progress, remember, God is good. There's a phrase that goes around in Christian circles. God is good all the time. And all the time, let's have some enthusiasm. All the time, God is good. When it doesn't look like it, God is good. Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Excuse me. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. In the New King James, it says His loving kindness. In Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible, that word loving kindness is found mainly in the book of Psalms. Not very Many other places does it use that word, loving kindness, and it means favor. God, you are God's favorite kid. Each and every one of us, we're all God's favorite. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but we are. We're God's favorite. Keep that in your mind. As you're going through your day, you are God's favorite. You have God's favor secured by Jesus. For the Lord Jesus is good, and His faithfulness endures forever. Even when time is over, His faithfulness will still be there. And by the way, uh, that's a good song. Enter His gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter His courts with praise. In the old days, the gates is where the uh, judgments were it happened, where you would bring your case to court. They didn't have courthouses. You went to the gate. It's the strategy, the gates. You want God's strategy? Begin thanking Him for stuff. 
begin thanking him. With thanksgiving, you enter his courts. Went down to uh, Tombstone yesterday afternoon, and they have the old courthouse there. It's a very ornate building. The front doors are almost as tall as this wall, but they restored the courtroom. So it looks like it was back in 1904. So my grandkids are sitting in the benches. Wow, this is pretty cool. You can't go up to the bench. You can't go any further than the, the gate there. But you know, you'd bring your case to court, and they had all kinds of you know, old stuff there. Yeah, well, I lost this case. <laughs> One time a guy comes walking across the stage. He's got a guitar case, and uh, he interrupts what's going on. Hey, hey, what are you doing? I'm taking my case to court. Disappears off stage. Comes back a few minutes later. The case he's carrying is open. Now what? I have an open case. <laughs> Goes off stage. Comes back a little while later. Now what happened? I lost my case. <laughs> but God has a court. And you and I are declared innocent by the blood of Jesus. Can you say amen? Praise God. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. I have uh, uh, the New King James. This is the ESV. In the New King James, it says, Give thanks, thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. What that's saying to us is, if God has done something in your life, tell somebody. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, Peter and John uh, had gone to the temple as a guy sitting there, lame from his mother's womb. Never walked in his life. They look at him. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And jumps up. He, he's disturbing the peace. So they get arrested. Next day they go to court. And there they are in court. And they tell him, you guys, the big shot tell him, don't ever talk about Jesus again. Because they couldn't say anything. The guy that got healed got arrested too, if you read it. There's he's standing there with Peter and John. Bring him out of prison. There he is, standing there with Peter and John. I'm guilty of getting healed. Sorry. <laughs> guilty. And Peter and John say, you know what? If you think it's a good idea to pay attention to you guys and do what you say, that's fine. But as for us, we cannot but speak about the things we have both seen and heard. Peter and John were the two apostles, the two disciples who got to the grave first. They saw the empty tomb. They knew. They saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. What are you going to say? Oh, you guys were hallucinating. Really? <laughs> he cooked breakfast for us. We were out fishing. And he calls us to shore. And, and breakfast was already made. And we saw him eat. And you're going to tell us that we don't know what we're talking about. Has God done something in your life? You have that personal experience. No one can tell you that didn't happen to you. Several years ago, when uh, I was working on the uh, elephant exhibit at the zoo, I overheard a young man who was a foreman for the landscaping crew. And I overheard him saying, my brother's in the hospital. He's got pneumonia. One lung is filled up with fluid. The other's filling up. And I'm going to go there tonight because uh, I don't want him to be alone when he dies. And I heard that, and I went up on the roof, and God spoke to me. Go pray for him. So I asked him, I said, would you mind? I came down off the roof. you mind if my wife and I come and pray for your brother? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I went back up on the roof, and I heard God tell me, you're going to meet his parents there. Okay. 
So on the way home, I call Kathy. Hey, get ready. We're going to go to the hospital and go pray for this guy. He's in bad shape. So we went. And sure enough, and, and I met the young man. I forget his first name, but his brother's name was James. And I had a little booklet about by his 39 stripes we heal. And so we ask, is James there? And I see the, the dad. I didn't know it was the dad and mom at first. I see him perk up like, well, who are you? And, uh, and then the, the, the younger brother comes and shows up. And uh, they finally get him ready. We go in. And the first thing that struck me was, this young man looks like my son. Oh, if it was my son, I would want someone to come and pray for him. So we went in and prayed, and I told the, the, the dad and the mom that we had prayed for people before. This one uh, little girl uh, went to visit their, their family, uh, knew the dad and the mom real well, and uh, the little daughter's lower eyelid was all swollen up, filled with fluid. So as I went to leave, I just laid my hand on her and prayed for her. The next day they came to church, she was totally healed. And uh, so we explained this, and uh, so we get to go in. And I remember I walked up to the bed and I put my hands like this on the young man's body and it felt like electricity came out of my hands. And I said, and we prayed for him. The next day his brother comes to work. He was so excited. Said, my brother's going to make it. He's, he's okay. The one lung had emptied out and he's, he's going to make it. And I said, praise God. We cannot but help to speak about the things we have both seen and heard. Miracles are real. God is still, Jesus is alive forevermore. Praise God. Friday morning at work, there's a young man, uh, they're taping the, the drywall. And uh, the day before, he said, man, I've got this terrible pain in my side. And I said, you know what? That's where your liver is. You probably got gallstones. Oh, I've got to go to the doctor today anyway. Next day he comes in, yes, I got gallstones. And he left. And he, and. Uh, and on Friday morning, he's talking to the other taper. And I didn't want to butt into the conversation, but he's saying, oh, I've got diabetes. I've got that, that nerve-ending, tingling thing in my feet and stuff. And I, I piped up and I said, sounds like you need a miracle. And his partner laughed. And uh, because the reason I joined in the conversation is because I heard these two guys talking about the one guy used to go to a church where the, they, they preached that husbands that wives must submit to their husbands. I said, yeah, that's only part of the Scripture. <laughs> he says, that's right. That's like everybody knows John 3.16. You know, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But they forget the next one, that God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And I thought, that's my chance. You need a miracle. And uh, But he left that day, and I didn't get a chance to uh, say anything else to him. But later on that day, I told the guy that laughed, I said, I was dead serious when I said he needs a miracle. I really am. God can do it. Praise God. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Let's see. I got this the right way? I think so. Voila. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is, what? He is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Paul goes to Cornelius' house. He's a Jewish man. It's against the law for him to go into the house of a Gentile. But God had showed him the day before. Go. By the way, I've seen a picture of the uh, house of Simon the Tanner, Tanner over there in uh, wherever it is in Europe, Eastern Europe, the Far East, Middle East, whatever it is. 
It's still there on Straight Street. So this is not legends. This is genuine history. And Paul goes in there and he starts telling them about it. He knows, you know, God showed me that there's no partiality with God. God doesn't have one favorite. Everyone's his favorite. He goes in and he starts telling them about Jesus of Nazareth. And he's saying uh, that, you know, uh, when he did his defense before King Agrippa, he says, these things were not hidden away and done, you know, in secret, but it was all done openly. So you people know, you have heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, what did Jesus do? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing what? Good. Went about doing good. Some people go around doing evil. He went around doing good. Jesus went about doing good. In Genesis, God saw creation and he pronounced it good. Joshua chapter 1 verse 18, God promises Joshua, if you keep this book handy and keep reading it, you will have good success. Only be strong and courageous and don't faint. Psalm 73 verse 28a, it is good for me to draw near to God. Say that with me. It is good for me to draw near to God. Praise God. What does it say here in Romans chapter 7? And Pastor Wayne's going to be doing a whole series on Romans. Paul writes, he says, The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Psalm 133 says, Behold, behold, check it out. Look, this is interesting. This is something you'd make a note of. Make a mental note. Behold, it is good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 147 says, Praise the Lord! With an exclamation point. Hallelujah is praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and praise is Beautiful. We don't sing songs up here just, you know, so people can come in as, uh, you know, we, we don't want to start, we want to start on time, but we don't just play the music and sing the songs to fill in time. We sing praises to God because God inhabits the praises of his people and because praise is pleasant and beautiful. When you're praising God, lift your hands, close your eyes, ignore everybody around you, try not to hit them. But just just focus on God and praise God for He loves us so much. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22a says, A merry heart does good like medicine. There's a, a story, and here's that, a story. And it's a true story. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was very ill. And he locked in the room and got a bunch of funny movies and watched them and laughed himself healthy. There's even a type of yoga over in India where they purposely laugh for their health. I just like to laugh because things are funny. (laughs) Now, here's an interesting thing. Everybody knows the progression of the English language. 
We go from good to better to best. God has our best interest at heart. But it says here that Jesus is the guarantor or the guarantee of a better covenant. What this is talking about is the old covenant was good. But God told them in Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant. And it's better. Excuse me, why is it better? Because you don't have to make as much of an effort as they did under the old covenant, the old statutes, trying to keep every little law, plus the explanations that they had for all of them. In order to get God's favor, there's only one thing to do. Put your trust in that what Jesus did on the cross is more than enough to make you good enough to approach God, to have a relationship with God, and to have God be your friend. I somehow insulted some guy one time because his name was Abraham. And I said, oh, Abraham, you're the friend of God. He's, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. If, Je- if Jesus touches your life, you are a friend of God. No, I'm not. That's okay. No, don't be God's friend. That's whatever, you know. <laughs> Praise God. According to Vines, and let me back up here just a minute, uh, to good. According to Vines' uh, expository dictionary of Greek New Testament words, when it says that God is good, it means God is essentially, God is absolutely, and God is consummately good. God is good. He's beneficial to us. He's not an angry God. Everybody, uh, if you've been around a while, may have heard of Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, uh, a preacher during uh, one of the great revivals in the early part of this country. And he preached a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it wasn't all about God being angry at the sinners, but God being angry at sin and what it does to people. It's not like God wants to ruin everybody's fun. God wants us to have good things. God wants us to live a good life. Praise God. So God is beneficial. All right. So, better is part of the story. He has obtained... Jesus is the guarantee of the better covenant. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. What is the promise of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in that only begotten Son has what? Everlasting life. No matter what happens to your body as it gets old and the universe wears out, we are guaranteed everlasting life. Part of us is going to live in eternity. Down in Tombstone at the courthouse, they have a copy of the front page of the Tombstone Gazette the day after the shootout at the old K Corral. And it doesn't say, we got rid of those three varmints. Thank God they're gone. The headline says, three men hurled into eternity 
in the duration of a moment. The shootout was so quick, and three men hurled into eternity in the duration of a moment. And underneath the subheadline says, Yesterday's tragedy. Who knows if these men had their hearts right with God, but they were hurled into eternity in the duration of a moment. Boom, 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 boom. And they're gone. And who knows if they had a chance. They said that uh, the one Clancy, or whatever his name was, McClanton, Clanton, all he wanted to know is, give me more bullets, is what his last words were. It's like, no thought of God or Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says that the promise is eternal inheritance. Jesus has already received his kingdom. And we, because we put our trust in Jesus, have part of that inheritance. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to some inheritances here on earth. But I'm also looking forward, more importantly, to the inheritance that's laid up for us in eternity. So, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised, and that should be a capital H, is faithful. God has promised us that if we trust in Jesus, we will have what he says we are guaranteed. That's the confession. He said, I'm saved. How do we know we're saved? Because Joel chapter 2 verse 32 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God makes it so simple. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, therefore he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost, completely and forever, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that an awesome statement? Jesus is making intercession for us. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is cheering us on. The Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 11 that there's a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. We have their examples in all kinds of stories about how they were faithful to God, how God was faithful to them, how God brought them through, how God never left them or forsake them, even when it looked like everything was going wrong. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the unchangeable God. Praise God. <clears throat> Today's memory verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after, if they come. If they don't come, then we'll be in forever. Praise God. That's the last. But I have more. Praise God. Because in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, it's the story of the prodigal son. He comes back. He's been living with pigs, which is gross. Pigs are, oh man. We have pigs at the animal lab where I'm working at, and they, somebody puts boots on and gloves on, and they go in the room and they clean up all the sawdust and put it in the plate plastic bag, but you can still smell it. 
<laughs> and then they put it in a hopper and they leave it by the back door for a day or two and <laughs> it smells even worse. This guy's been living with pigs and he says, you know what, I'm going to go back to my dad. So he comes to his senses. He goes, what am I doing here? It's like me when I got saved. It's like, what am I doing? Oh, oh my goodness, what am I doing? And I trust me, or trust God, as you go along in life, every so often you'll come to a place in your life where God may not speak audibly to you, but inside you'll say, Whoa, what am I doing? Because sanctification is a process. It, God calls us out. God calls us to be holy. But we don't know everything all at once. As you go along, God will show you stuff. And hopefully you'll, when God shows you stuff, say, oh, what am I doing? I need to change something. and Let God change you. Praise God. So anyway, so he comes home. He says, Dad, you know, first of all, Dad runs out to meet him. And the point of the whole story is that his son was dead. He thought he was dead, and he comes back. My goodness, I, can, I have uh, two stepsons, and my own son is up in Alaska. And every so often, it's a while before we hear from him. And I wonder, he, showed, <laughs> he put a picture on Facebook of one of the buildings he's working in. There's a poster on the door, picture of a polar bear. It says, no protection outside this door. Underneath, my son writes, not going out that door. <laughs> he said, they have guys with shotguns out there because the polar bears will actively hunt humans. They don't care. You're food. So every so often, it's been a while since I hear from him, and I wonder, how my, I wonder how my son's doing. So I know a little bit about what this dad's feeling is. My son's still alive, and he sees his son, and he runs out, and the son says, Son says, you know, oh, Dad, just let me be one of your servants. And he tells the servants, quickly, run and get the best robe. Get the best robe for my son. Put a ring on his finger and put shoes and sandals on. Get the best. God has the best interest for you and I. The last time I preached, it preached about uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the plans. The thoughts I have towards you, plans to do good and not to harm you, give you a hope and an expected end. So this word best is first quality, the very best. Praise God. That should stir in us hope. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul addresses Titus. He says that, he says, Paul, me, I am a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, the acknowledgement of the truth with accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We have hope because we believe that God is good. If God is good, you can expect good things. Vines, once again, expository dictionary of Greek New Testament words, says that this word hope, and there's a lot of entries for the word hope in the, his dictionary, says that hope is the happy anticipation of good. Anybody remember when you were a kid and Christmas was coming? Woo-hoo, 
was so excited. Oh, Christmas is coming. It was a happy anticipation. You were excited. It's also favorable and confident expectation having to do with the unseen and the future. Nobody knows the future but God, but we can still hope, we can still plan and and hope that things (laughs) will work out because the best is yet to come. Of the three things that Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or chapter 12 before chapter 13, which is the description of the, the love of God, says these three abide, faith, hope, and loves. Hope is one of them because the best is yet to come. If you haven't already done so, on the back table there's a letter from Pastor Jack Harris about uh, the ministry that they're doing uh, all over the world, uh, mainly in Kurdistan of Iraq, and I'll quote from his letter, for we who believe the best is yet ahead. God's got good things planned. We're, we're only in February of 2018. Uh, next month will be our fifth anniversary already. Wow. Time goes pretty fast. But the best is yet to come. With that, we'll close. So if you don't remember anything at all, remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He lives forevermore to make intercession for us. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and